There's a, there's a Christmas hymn that's often sung around this time entitled, What Child Is This? And it aims to answer the question, just who is this baby whose birth we celebrate, particularly at this time of year? And if you've been around church or have, have lived in the U.S. for an extended period of time, you would know that the obvious answer is, is Jesus. It's just like when you're a kid, or for these kids back here, like, it's normally a pretty safe answer to go with, go with Jesus. You're, you're doing pretty, pretty good for yourself. It's tough to go wrong there. I heard a story once of a, of a teacher who was teaching children, and uh, he, he, kids in the church, and so he gathers them together, and he says, all right, kids, I'm going to tell you a story. I'm going to tell you a story about someone who likes to live in the woods, but sometimes you can see him in your yard. Anybody know who I'm talking about? And there's no response. All right, let me try again. All right, there's this... I'm going to tell a story about a creature that lives in the woods. Sometimes you see him in your yard. He has a big, bushy tail, and he likes to eat nuts. Anybody know who I'm talking about? Crickets. Crickets. Kids don't respond. I know you guys know the answer. Good job. Kids don't respond. So he tries it again. All right, I'm talking about a creature that lives in the woods. Sometimes you find him in your yard. He's got a big, bushy tail. He eats nuts. He likes to climb trees and and jump from tree to tree. Now, does anybody know what I'm talking about? And the kid, no, nothing. Finally, a kid in the back raises his hand. Go ahead. Do you know what I'm talking about? He says, yeah, I know the answer should be Jesus, but it sounds like you're talking about a squirrel. <laughs> For us, we are, in fact, going to be talking about Jesus, not a squirrel this morning. And this morning, I hope to, to flesh out the answer even more so. What child is this? You see, the answer to this question is one of the most important questions that we could ever answer. One of the most important answers we could ever give. All the, all the Christmas festivities, all the lights and presents and food and family, all of this stuff is just meaningless sentimentality apart from the meaningfulness of who this baby is. For our answer, we're going to be looking at Isaiah chapter 9 in the Old Testament. And you can, if you have a Bible, you can go ahead and open up there. If you're new to your Bible... If you open up about to the middle, if you're in Psalms, you need to go to the right. If you reach Jeremiah or Ezekiel, you need to go to the left. And uh, we'll be in Isaiah chapter 9. And as we get started, let me pray. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for the opportunity this morning to, to open up your word and to hear what you have to say to us through your word. Thank you that your word is inerrant, infallible, and eternal. And we ask that you conform our hearts to your word. And uh, may all that is said and done here be for your own glory. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. In 1940, Hitler had been running roughshod through Western Europe. He was executing the, the Blitzkrieg, the Lightning War. And Nazi Germany conquered the Netherlands and then Belgium, and they were making their way into France. And here the, the Allied troops, predominantly French and British, were fighting side by side. And the Germans ran over them. They were soundly whipped, and they were forced all the way up to northern France. And there they sat on the beaches of Dunkirk. Nearly 400,000 Allied troops sat up here in Dunkirk. They were trapped on the beach with the, the German troops in front of them and the English Channel behind them. Now, defeat here would just decimate the Allied forces Uh, particularly the British forces, and it would give Hitler the opportunity to establish control over all of Europe. All hope seemed lost for the Allies. 
these moments in May of 1940. And as the troops sat exhausted on the beaches of Dunkirk prior to German attack, something extraordinary happened. Hear it in the words of, of Winston Churchill biographer William Manchester. He says this, Now 220,000 British soldiers at Dunkirk. Britain's only hope seemed doomed. On the Flanders beaches, they stood around in angular existential attitudes like dim purgatorial souls awaiting disposition. There appeared to be no way to bring more than a handful of them home. The Royal Navy's vessels were inadequate. King George VI has been told that they would be lucky to save 17,000. The House of Commons was warned to prepare for hard and heavy tidings. Then, then from the streams and estuaries of Kent and Dover, a strange fleet appeared. Trawlers and tugs, scows and fishing sloops, lifeboats and pleasure crafts, smacks and coasters, all of them manned by civilian volunteers. English fathers sailing to rescue England's exhausted, bleeding sons. This death-defying rescue resulted in the successful evacuation of 338,000 Allied troops. Apart from this, the Allies would have not survived. Apart from this, there would be no D-Day. Apart from this, there would be no V-E Day. This was one of those days that, out of the blue, altered the course of history. While you may or, not be, may or may not be familiar with the events at Dunkirk in 1940, these events resound with a familiar theme, one that has been played out again and again across time. The protagonist, they've reached the point of defeat. All hope seems lost. The enemy is closing in. Death, defeat, and death seem inevitable. And then, and then at the last moment, the unexpected happens. The reinforcements swoop in. The forgotten hero returns. The rescue comes. This storyline rings out through history, in stories, in movies, and in books. You see, this storyline, it echoes something divine. Not just anything divine, but it echoes the glory of God and the gospel. Christmas itself revolves around this very storyline. Through the birth of this baby, our rescue has come. But before we get to there, let me back up. I want to go back to a story that, that predates us, that predates Dunkirk. It even predates the birth of Jesus. It's a story that's as old as humanity itself. This story, it starts in a garden. There was a time in human history when man and woman existed in perfect bliss as they had fellowship with God in the Garden of Eden. All of their needs were met, their longings fulfilled. Everything was as it should be. God as creator was Lord over all, and man as creature was joyfully and loyally subject to him. Then sin entered the world. Sin entered the world through a lie through a questioning of the wisdom of God. Sin entered the world through a doubting of the love of God, through two bites from a piece of fruit. Sin led Adam and Eve to being banished from the perfect bliss of this garden. Their access to God was gone. No longer did they live perfectly satisfied and fulfilled. Because of sin, life from here on out would be hard. Because of sin, they would labor and toil and fight and suffer. All hope seemed to be lost. But as God cursed Adam and Eve for their sin, and He cursed the serpent for His deception, hope swept in. As God curses the serpent in Genesis 3.15, we read that the offspring of the woman 
shall bruise the head of the serpent. The offspring of the serpent, uh, the offspring of the woman shall bruise the head of the serpent. When hope was waning, God reveals a promise. A snake crusher is coming. One who overcomes evil is on his way. Now fast forward several years and God has preserved for himself a people for his own glory. Through Noah and then Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. When the people become slaves in Egypt, God delivers them. He frees them from their bondage. And as they flee, they find themselves like the soldiers of Dunkirk. They've got the Egyptians in front of them, the Red Sea behind them. But at just the right time, at just the right time, the rescue comes. God parts the waters and the people can cross. Now the Old Testament history of Israel is littered with stories just like this. God saves His people again and again from the brink of devastation and annihilation. All hope seems lost. And then at just the last minute, the rescue comes. Now with that as the backdrop, let's look at Isaiah together. Just a little background on this passage. Just over 2,700 years ago is when this takes place. 700 years after the Israelites had crossed the Red Sea. The people of God, they found themselves at one of these points. And the kingdom of David and then his son Solomon had become divided. To the north, there was the kingdom of Israel under the rule of a guy named Pekah. And to the south was the kingdom of Judah, which was ruled by Ahaz. Neither of these men feared God, and this was not a happy division. You see, 2,700 years ago, it seemed that all hope was lost for the people of God. Israel, this northern kingdom, had teamed up with Syria, and they wanted to conquer Judah, the southern kingdom. They set out to defeat them. And it's, it's here that God sends his prophet Isaiah to speak to Ahaz. And we read of this in Isaiah chapter 7. And God tells him that it, it shall not come to pass. This is not going to happen. Ahaz, he doesn't believe God. So God tells him that he's going to send him a sign. He's going to give him a sign. And that's where we read from Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14 that Larry read from earlier. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. This means, this name Emmanuel means God with us. There's no need to fear. God with us is coming. Don't worry about it, Ahaz. Now as we move into Isaiah 8, Isaiah then prophesies of the invasion of Assyria. So not Syria, but Assyria. They're coming and they're going to destroy Israel, the northern kingdom. And they're going to destroy them so much so that they're going to wreak havoc into the southern kingdom of Judah. Look at the last verse of chapter 8, verse 22 says this, and they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. All hope seemed lost. These were the prospects for the people of God, defeat, darkness, hopelessness. But that's not the end of the story. And that's where we're going to look at Isaiah chapter 9, verses 2 through 7. We're going to focus specifically on verse 6, but would you read with me, beginning in verse 2. Isaiah prophesies, this is the word of God, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. Isaiah prophesies here of light, light that shines into the darkness and the darkness does not overcome it. Verse three, you have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. Here, we hear of this 
fruitfulness and exuberant joy. Why? Well, beginning in verse 4, we're going to see this series of fours. Each verse starts with four. The cause, the reason for this fruitfulness and joy. Verse 4, For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor you have broken as on the day of Midian. This joy stems from his breaking the power of his oppressor. This joy stems from the liberating God who frees his people from captivity. Just like he did in Egypt when he freed them from the bondage of slavery. Verse 5, For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. Now this speaks of, of the complete conquering that's going to take place. This victory will not be slight. It will be decisive and triumphant. And the people, they get to enter into the fruits of this victory. So the readers of the prophecy must be dying to know how is all this going to happen? How will it all take place? No doubt they had visions of, of grandeur and unmatched pomp and power. And here's the reason for this overpowering victorious light, this boundless joy and happiness. Look at verse 6. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. The answer to all the problems for the people of God, the resuscitation of their hope, comes in the form of a child, a baby. Now just who is this child? This child is Jesus, the hope of the world. He is the offspring of Eve that comes to crush the serpent's head. He is the descendant of Abraham, through whom all nations will be blessed. He is the promised son of David, who is now seated on high, ruling and reigning for his own glory and the good of his people. For to us, this child is born. This morning, we are a room full of people in all different places. For some, life is just great. Not a, not a care, not a worry in the world. For others, we stand in a place of, of desperation. Our lives are characterized by hopelessness. And the rest of us are somewhere in between. There's a reality that touches every one of us, though, wherever we find ourselves. First, we live in a fallen world. Things happen around us that don't make sense. Just over the past couple days, I've been seeing images come out of Aleppo and the devastation and wicked destruction that is coming out of there. It's terrifying. This is a fallen world. Not only do we live in a fallen world, but we all suffer. We either are suffering right now, or we're about to be suffering, or we know someone who's suffering. Suffering is the reality that we live in. I have a good friend who's a pastor in Florida, and after trying for several years to have children, and after miscarriages this past Wednesday, they delivered a baby girl. But their joy turned to fear when they discovered that within the first few hours of giving birth, she had a stroke and a seizure. While they're hopeful for her recovery, these, these days of joy have have been unexpectedly hard as they suffer through this trial. 
Suffering is, is where we live. We live in a fallen world. We live in a world in which we suffer. Not only that, though, but we are sinners. And we make a mess of this world. We sin. We do that which is against God. And I hate to break it to you this morning to be the bearer of bad news, but you are not perfect. I am not perfect. We are not perfect. This week, probably today, you're going to disappoint somebody. You might get angry or offended at somebody. You grow bitter towards people. We grow bitter towards people. Even when we know on one level that we shouldn't say that thing, we say that thing. And we make a mess of the relationships around us. We make a mess of our lives. We are sinful people. Now why does all this matter? Well, it matters most significantly because of the fact that there is a coming day when we will all face judgment. We will all be judged for our thoughts and actions. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10, the Bible says this, We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. There's a Creator God who rules over all. As Creator, He owns all. And He will judge and condemn us for our depraved thoughts and our evil deeds. What hope do we have? What can save us here? We can't save ourselves. We have no standing on our own before this God because we're sinful people. We've, we've mocked Him and belittled Him through our sin. We've made light of His rule and reign. We can't save ourselves. Fame won't save you. It doesn't matter how many people know who you are and what you've done. Fame does not give you any hope on that day. Money won't save you. You could have all the money in the world. It means nothing on that final day. Power won't save you. It doesn't matter who, how many people come to you at your beck and call who will do what you tell them to do. Power is not going to help you on that day. Health won't save you. It doesn't matter how fit you are, how much weight you've lost, how good you eat, how long you live. Health won't save you. All of us will die and all of us will be judged. Stuff won't save you. It doesn't matter how much stuff you have. You could have all the stuff in the world. Things, things, and more things. They might make you happy temporarily, but it's all going to rot and rust and decay. It won't save you. But God's answer to all of our problems... All of our problems is found right here in this child. It takes a child to save you. Think about how humbling this is. It takes a child. God doesn't say in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, that all this joy and fruitfulness and prosperity and this conquering is going to come through this mighty warrior, although he, this child is a mighty warrior, but he doesn't start there. For to us, a child is born. Now, who is this child? Well, Isaiah gives us four names for this child. We're going to look at each one real quick. He is the wonderful counselor. As counselor, he has all wisdom wrapped up in him. All wisdom wrapped up in him. There's not a situation in your life that you can come up with that he is not wise to overcome. And his counsel is, it's not just counsel, it's wonderful and good. He is the wonderful counselor. Counseling that which is righteous and good. All his ideas and strategies, they're, they're perfect. He is the wonderful counselor. So, friends, look to him. Look to the wonderful counselor. He is the mighty God. As the mighty one, he speaks. 
and things happen. The beginning of time, he said, let there be light, and there was light. He makes the sun rise and set. He makes wars seat and kingdoms rise and fall. But not only is he mighty, this might is divine. He is God of God, King of kings. He is creator and sustainer. He is ruler and deliverer. He is the one who has vanquished death and crushed the serpent's head. He overthrows his enemies with ease. He is the mighty God. Friends, lean on him. He is the everlasting father. As father, all his dealings are gracious and good. He looks after the helpless and the hopeless. He cares for his people. David writes in Psalm 103, As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. And he's not just father for for a season or a time or a situation. He is the everlasting father. From beginning to end, he remains. Yesterday, today, and forever, he is trustworthy and good and kind. With his love, there is no end. He is the everlasting Father. So trust in Him. He is the Prince of Peace. The Prince of Peace. He brings an end to all struggling and strife. He brings fulfillment to those who cannot be satisfied. He brings well-being to those who are stricken. He brings relief to the anxious. Harmony to the relationally conflicted. He takes those who are His enemies and reconciles them to Himself. While we were far off, He has brought us near by the blood of Christ, by His own blood. His favor is completely upon those who are His. He is the Prince of Peace. So friends, rest in Him. When we think of Christmas, our tendency is to think of that perfect family celebrating that perfect day. All the presents, all the joy, all the smiles and laughs. But Christmas doesn't exist for those people. Because the reality is that those people don't exist. We're all a mess. We're a mess. Christmas, Christmas is for the broken. Christmas is for for the messed up. It's for those whose families have been fractured by bitterness and sin that can find hope in the one who can bring forgiveness. The one who is the wonderful counselor with perfect paths marked out for them. Christmas is for those whose bodies are falling apart racked by disease, decaying in old age, suffering in pain that can find healing in the One who will one day make all things new. He is the mighty God. Christmas, the coming of this child, is for those whose season will be marked not by joy in the presence of family, but by their absence because of death. They can find peace in the One who is the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Brothers and sisters, Christmas is for those who hurt. Christmas is for the brokenhearted, for those who long for all things to be made right. Friends, find hope here. If you have not repented of your sin and trusted in Christ for the forgiveness of your sin, for the, you have not trusted in the one who, who lived a perfect life. He walked this earth, faced every temptation known to man, And he resisted those temptations. He walked in perfect righteousness. This is the life that you could not live. He lived for you. Not only did he live this life, but he took on flesh to die our death. 
to suffer for you, to suffer for me. He became obedient to death, even death on a cross. He is the one who you can find life in because He is life. Turn to Him. Trust in Him. And find eternal peace in Him. Friends, believe on the One who who took on flesh, who lived this life, who died your death, that you might have life. We're going to sing this hymn just in a few minutes. Hark the Herald Angels Sing. And it's got some incredible lines, but it's easy to sing them and be familiar with them and not really think about what you're singing. The second verse says this, Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. This Creator God, eternal, invisible, immortal, He veils Himself in flesh and we can see Him in Jesus Christ. Hail the incarnate Deity, pleased as man with men to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. Jesus is God with us. Later, verse 3 says that mild He lays His glory by, born that man no more may die. He was born that we might find eternal life. Born to raise the sons of earth. Born to give them second birth. All of us were born once, and those who believe in Jesus, they are born again. They are given new life in Him. This child was born to give them second birth. Hark, the herald angels sing glory to the newborn King. Oh, brothers and sisters, if you have trusted in Him, be encouraged by this truth. Jesus Christ, He died for your sins. Jesus Christ has made you right before God. When you stand on that judgment day before Him, you have nothing to claim but Christ. Christ who is your life. Jesus Christ has given you life and hope eternally. Now we all walk in darkness. Maybe you feel like those soldiers and you're, you're pushed up against the English Channel at Dunkirk. Or maybe your life is so clouded by those around you suffering or even your own suffering and darkness is closing in. Hear the Word of God for you. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And now, now picture this, this child like Atlas with the government upon his shoulders. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. We won't reach a point that's, uh, that's all he's got. There will be no end to the increase of his rule and his reign and his glory. He will establish justice and uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forever and more. And this is our hope. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And we see this in, in what theologians like to talk about, the already and the not yet. Now for Israel, when they heard this promise, they thought it was all going to happen at one time. It's going to happen in one moment. But as we see through the revelation of Scripture, there's an already and a not yet to what God is doing here. He has already provided this child. He has already given us this son. The zeal of the Lord of hosts has done this. But brothers and sisters, there is still more that He will do. As He once and for all vanquishes the enemy. 
as He once and for all raises those who were dead in their sin and gives them life eternal and happiness with Him. Find your hope in this child. And as you go through the next couple weeks, whether you find yourself aware of all the things you've got to be grateful for, or you find yourself aware of all the things you don't have, turn to the one, the only one, who can satisfy every longing, who can fulfill every desire. Brothers and sisters, all our needs are met in the one who is goodness himself. As he is goodness, all good is wrapped up in him, wrapped up in him alone. So trust in him. To us, a child is born. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Father, thank you for revealing yourself to us in Christ Jesus. Thank you that though we were dead in our sins, you, by trusting in you, you have made us alive together with Christ and by grace we can be saved. And you have raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion above every name that is named. Lord, we place our hope, we place our trust in you and we celebrate the coming of this child. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.